Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who, of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus returned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The word of the Lord. Please take a moment for silent reflection. Gracious God, even in the moment of silence that we are experiencing here, it is difficult to be silent and still. As our minds just race, our lives are frantic. We run from one goal to the next, achieving and striving. Maybe we're running from our past or running from regrets. We live in a culture that tells us to achieve more, to strive more, to be more, to amass and consume more and more and more. And so we are filled 
with things that end up leaving us empty, wanting more. We come to this very moment from so many different backgrounds, believing and unbelieving, somewhere in between. Some of us remembering a time when you seemed so close to us and now you seem a million miles away and we're wondering what happened to you, or maybe what happened to us, wondering if we can ever believe these things again. But however we find ourselves in this very moment, help us to see that we have far more in common than we realize. On one hand, none of us has it all together. Every one of us is what we might call a beautiful mess. Beautiful and broken. At the same time, you see us. You see us and you know us in all our complexities and contradictions, the ways we're very good people, the ways we are not very good people at all. You see us, you know us, and your response is to move toward us in sacrificial, self-giving love in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to see the hardest thing of all, that you love us this much. Help us to run toward you. And so now we pray that you'd teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to your grace, to your love and your truth. And then you'd send us out to be your very agents of renewal wherever we go. We pray these things for our good and for your glory. Amen. You know, this is a very interesting passage for many reasons, but this is kind of the epicenter of the beginning of the church in some ways. I mean, this is Jesus' first calling of his first disciples. And it really goes and asks us the question of calling in our lives. Uh, Vocation is, is the word we use today. What is your vocation? Vocation coming from the same word as vocal cords, to call. What is your calling in this world? You know, as my, myself being called to be a pastor, I never thought I'd be a pastor, okay? Do you know what I was doing in high school in this neighborhood? I, believe it or not, I used to sell drugs in this very neighborhood. I may or may not look like it now. Uh, you're like, Matt, Matt, you know, I knew there was something a little off about you, Matt. Now I know what it is. I used to park my 1985 Toyota Camry on 32nd Street. And that was my mobile base of operations, where I had all my supply and scales and bags and cash for change. Do you know how stupid that is? All in my car. I still get Facebook messages to this day from friends back in high school saying, is this the same Matt Nault I knew back in the 90s? Because it looks like him. That guy would not have become a pastor. The first, uh, the first wedding I officiated, we're all there. It was in L.A. We're all dressed nicely. I have my clerical collar on, and the groom introduces me to his groomsman as the guy that sold him his first dime bag of weed. It was awesome, right? Two worlds just coming together. And, then, uh, and, and by the way, the whole time I was culturally Catholic. I didn't miss Mass any given Sunday, and yet it didn't penetrate or per- any other part of my life. It was always kind of in the background. I had this spiritual renewal as, as I was going to college, and I got involved with this group called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and it was through that group that faith really became alive for me, that I connected with Christ in the present tense, not just as kind of this greater belief system or ethical system that helps you be a better person, that our parents believe, but really we can leave behind, but it really came down to the question, is he who he said he was, and did he rise from the dead? If he is the Son of God and he really rose from the dead, then it should change everything, and if he's not and he didn't, and it should change nothing at all. And we should eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. And it really doesn't matter. And that was really the, the razor's edge that really changed everything for me in the context of a great community. And still, I didn't think my calling would be to be a pastor. My trajectory was to get a master's in business and a law degree and be a sports agent in L.A., right? To show, show me the money, to be Jerry Maguire. And I remember uh, as I was becoming a senior, my mentor, Chris Nichols, said, that's a great 
path. That's a great idea. But, but this community has been so good for you, and you've been so good for it. Why don't you become a staff worker for InterVarsity for three years, and then move on and do that? So I said yes, and that went really, really well at USD, and revival and renewal kind of broke out on campus. And 100 people came to faith each year, and I was there to see it. And I got a phone call from San Francisco saying, would you move to San Francisco and start a chapter of InterVarsity at the University of San Francisco? And at that time, Florence and I were just about to be married. And we said, sure, we'll be in San Francisco for three years. And then we're back to San Diego where we know everybody. And I can continue on with master's in business and law degree and go on and make some real money and, you know, really make a name for myself. And uh, it, was in, it was there that God got a hold of me to the next level and said, hey, um, we, we, we realize we love being in ministry, but we want to be involved in every aspect of the whole city not just 18 to 22 year olds on campus, which really matters a lot, but from birth to death. Uh, you know, the whole span of the city. And so we fell in love with the city, we fell in love with our local church. From there I went on staff in San Francisco. This is, by the way, very thumbnail sketch, I know. But got my master's degree, became ordained, started a congregation in San Francisco. Here's the point. I never thought I'd be a pastor. I am as surprised as anybody that I'm the one giving the sermon today, right? And yet that's, that's the calling. And for me, it was, I never set out to run this marathon. It was just, would you run the next mile? Would you run the next mile? Would you run the next mile? And I realized I'm like 15 miles into a marathon, and I actually like running the marathon, and I'm not bad at it. And uh, that's, that's my sense of calling into where I come today. What's your sense of calling? Whether you're a pastor or a doctor or an engineer or you're in healthcare or you're in business or you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're in commercial real estate or education or construction, what's the, what's the calling underneath that career? What are you doing and why? That's the question that this passage asks us today. Because The context is Jesus walks up to a bunch of people who are about their daily business. They have plans. They have a trajectory. They have, a, they have the, the railroad tracks are in front of them, and he disrupts everything with two questions and a promise. Come and see, follow me, and you will see greater things than these. Isn't that great? Two invitations and a promise. Here's the context, though. The context is, we, it starts with John the Baptist's words, okay? John is standing with two of his disciples, and he calls out, you know, this is the one. John the Baptist was that forerunner, prophetic figure who would go before Jesus and point the way to him. Israel, the entire audience, everyone who would hear at this point is a people that you could be described as confused, upset, dwelling in darkness. Because politically, the people of Israel are being dominated by the Roman Empire. There's an occupation going on in Jerusalem. They're being oppressed and crushed. There is all sorts of turmoil going on in society. There's also all sorts of anxiety going on in the people themselves. And John the Baptist comes and says, look, the Lamb of God. Now, I understand we don't talk like that, the Lamb of God. Please don't call me that. I won't call you that. Um, But there there are a few terms here that we need to just unpack really quickly. And here they are. There's the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, and, and finally Jesus says, you will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Lamb of God, Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man. These were all ancient ways of talking about the way that God would become involved in humanity once and for all. That The Lamb of God would become the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, to bring humans and God back in relationship with each other. 
The Messiah would be the anointed one, God's anointed who would save and rescue all creation. The Son of God that we would not only know God from far off, but God would send one of his own, his very self, into creation. Son of man goes back to an ancient prophecy from the prophet Daniel talking about what it would be like when that Messiah comes. These are all ways of describing their desire for God to break through their darkness with God's light. And here we have Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus, the the face of the invisible God, the exact image and imprint of the invisible God of all creation saying, come and see. Come and see what that looks like. If you really want to know, if you really want to go deep, then follow me. And when you do, you will see greater things than these. Let's unpack these. Two invitations and a promise. First, come and see. Before that invitation comes Jesus' first question. Can you imagine this? He's walking through and these people are following him. And he turns and he says, what are you looking for? Another translation says, what do you want? It reminds me of my psychology professor in grad school. He was teaching us pastoral counseling. And if you called him and you got his voicemail, it would say, at the sound of the tone, please respond to these two questions. Who are you and what do you want? And lest you think I'm being rude, let me remind you, many people go through their entire life never answering those two questions. That's good, professor, right? That's like, so that's a whole therapy session just for calling him. How do you answer that question? Who are you? And what do you want? What are you looking for? Underneath all your striving and achieving, Or what drives all of your worrying? Underneath the appearance that you work really hard to craft and create, to present to the outside world. Underneath moving from one romantic relationship to the next, thinking that that next one will make you whole. What are you really looking for? There was an interview done years back with the Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady, many would consider one of the greatest, well, definitely one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. At this time, he had only three Super Bowl rings, uh, was only engaged to his supermodel, now wife, Giselle, and had only like hundreds of millions of dollars, not several hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, But it's in the midst of this wealth, all the success, and all of this relationship that he's interviewed, and he says, Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life, and I think, God, it's gotta be more than this. The interviewer then asks, what's the answer? And Brady responds, I wish I knew. Jesus comes and asks, and they respond, where are you staying? And I love that his answer is not, you know, he doesn't give them an address or Google map coordinates. He doesn't give them more data, more information. He gives them an invitation. Come and see. An invitation to a deeper experience. Come and see. You know, if you ask me, hey, Matt, what are you having for lunch and where are you eating it? I could tell you in the meeting room and it's going to be taco shop food for the membership gathering. But it's much deeper to say, come and see and eat the food with me and learn with me and grow with me. That's a deeper experience, right? He says, come and see. Jesus comes to you right now and says, what do you want? And come and see. Walk with me here. Not just more data, 
but actually an experience. And that's part of Florence's and my calling to return to San Diego and start Renew Church. It's a come and see moment. Maybe that's part of your experience of being a part of a church startup here. Where over the years in San Francisco, we'd have San Diego friends come visit us and they'd come to church just to be polite and we hear them say things like, hey, I don't normally go to church, but I really love this one. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. But if this church existed in San Diego, I would be a part of it. We heard one friend say, it's refreshing to see a church that not only talks about the renewal of God, but actually gets out there and is about the business of the renewal of God in the city. I need a church like that. And finally, I said to Florence, look, I don't know of any pastors that have non-Christian friends saying, would you please start a church so I can grow in connection with God and with my community? We gave up a lot to come here. We had a great home and a great community and a great church and a great a lot of things, but it was a come and see moment. The spiritual journey will always be Jesus inviting you to come and see. When he first called Abraham, it's go to the land I will show you and I will be with you. When he called Moses, it's go and talk to Pharaoh as scary as that is and I will be with you. And when Jesus calls his disciples, he says, come and see. I remember when we first started this church, my friend Mark, who I went to undergrad with, he goes, hey, Matt, I'm going to be watching with great interest. I'm really curious to see how you start a church. And I said, Mark, I'm really curious to find out how you start a church too. We're going to learn together as we go. But we're going to see. We're going to to develop a deeper life with God together. We're going to develop deeper relationship with each other. So we're not only starting a church for the good of all our neighbors. In the context of all that, Jesus actually meets you and me here on a deeper level. Come and see. And then he says, follow me. Now just note that Andrew and Simon, they kind of found Jesus, but not Philip. In verse 43, Philip found, Jesus found Philip. And in all of that, Jesus goes to them and says, follow me. It's active. So Christianity and spiritual development is not merely amassing more Bible verses and memorizing more theological books, although it definitely involves using your mind. It's not merely about striving to have a life of great ethics that treats one another like brother and sister and honors that we're all created in the image and likeness of God, but it's way beyond merely behavior modification. It's actually a deeper journey to follow him together. If spiritual growth is described as a journey in which you're following him, it would mean that you stay close to him, right? If I say, we're going on a bike ride, follow me, we're going to Ocean Beach, and you end up in El Cajon, guess what? You didn't follow me, right? So as we follow Christ together, we stay close to him. But you know what else you can expect it to be? It's a dynamic process. Follow is a dynamic word. It involves movement. Follow implies that it's a process that no one's ever finished. There are many words to describe the the spiritual journey. Having arrived is not one of them, which means that you can be patient with yourself in all the ways that the spiritual life seems like two steps forward and one step back. It means you can be patient with other people around you when they frustrate you. You say, look how God is being patient with me. I can be patient with them. It means that doubt and questions are not the enemy of faith, but rather they're probably evidence that you're actually paying attention and that he actually honors doubt and questions. His disciples, who he invites to walk with him three years later, will still have doubt and questions, and he will move toward 
to honor, to respect, to answer, to accommodate our brokenness and our questions. Which means that it's okay that you don't have it all together and that I don't. Look, I'm not called to be a pastor because I'm better than anybody in this room or necessarily more moral or ethical than anyone in this room. I'm called to be a pastor because this is my station in life and I strive to follow him even as I commend him to you. And we walk together. But you're called in your particular vocation and lane and path. You know, when we begin to normalize doubt and normalize questions, that's where the real growth actually happens. Maybe you've seen churches before where doubt is the enemy of faith and so no one can share how they're actually doing or what they're actually thinking. And all that does is create a culture of hypocrisy where you end up withering and shriveling all alone because you have to keep up all these appearances. And when we talk like this, you know what happened last year? There was a gentleman who walked in. He was a part of the church for a bit. Uh, He was a member of another church. He was an elder at another church, which meant that he had some spiritual authority. He had some visibility. He had a lot of training. After, he said, can we have coffee? I said, of course we can. He said, when you talk about normalizing doubt and questions, I gotta tell you, I've got all sorts of questions, but I can't talk about them at my church. They wouldn't let me be an elder anymore. I said, welcome to the human experience. Welcome to the, welcome to the world of following Jesus as we do this together. The disciples are often referred to as the disciples because after three years of the greatest theological training ever, Thomas still said, I don't believe unless you show me. He loves us. So just know that however frail your faith might seem today, if you're wondering if you can actually believe these things, He is patient with you and He invites you to get moving. Get moving. Okay, you have questions, you have doubts, that's great. Write them down. Do some research. Have a conversation with the pastor or with a trusted friend, but follow Him. Press into Him with your questions. Follow is a process. And then the next word, me, means it's relational. Almost every other religion will say, follow the teaching, follow the moral code, follow the dharma, follow the pillars. And Jesus says, follow me. It's relational. We don't have time to go into this too deeply. We will in the membership course. This church's discipleship process, that's the process by which we become closer to Jesus and to one another. Um, we We are a centered set, not a bounded set. A bounded set church develops all sorts of boundaries and says who is in and who is out. Okay, so if you have uh, if you have the right uh, voting record, and churches differ on this, but if you're always voting with the right way, then you're in, and if not, then you're a bad person. You're one of them, right? Um, If you're wealthy or poor, if if you give to the church a substantial amount or you don't, if you show up to church enough times on Sundays or you don't, are you in? Or are, did you say the sinner's prayer or did you not? Are you in or are you out? That's a, that's a bounded set. That's not our style of discipleship. That's not Jesus' style of discipleship. Instead, we're a centered set where we put Christ in the middle of everything and ask the more important question, are you moving toward him or are you moving away from him? Are you moving toward him or are you moving away from him? Hear him now invite you. as He says, follow me. And notice they go with others. That all the spiritual growth is occurring, not in isolation, but in community. And so one goes to find the other. Simon and Andrew. 
Philip and Nathaniel. And pretty soon you see this diverse group of disciples that Jesus has called together. And you think, if I was starting my own pilot program, I would not invite these people, okay? You have people like uh, someone who is described as a zealot and someone who's described as a tax collector, okay? A zealot would be, remember I told you that the, the Jews are under occupation from the Roman Romans? A zealot would be a Jewish person who has taken it upon themselves by violence to overthrow Rome if they could. A tax collector would be a Jewish person who has sold out all of their own people to go and work for the Roman government to get taxes for Rome. These are sworn enemies. And Jesus says, I invite you and I invite you and I want you both to come closer to me. And as you come closer to me, you will see you actually come closer to each other. So what holds this church together is not, not that we believe the same way on all sorts of other issues, although they may be very, very, very important. What holds this church together is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Don't you just feel the freedom as you hear that? That means you can be authentically who you are with all the parts you love and all the parts you don't and know that it's all in bounds for this community. It's all in bounds for the embrace of Jesus Christ. I'll give you another example. He invites... Uh, um, Simon will later be called Peter, Cephas, the rock. Can you imagine someone whose nickname is the rock? We have one of those now. He looks like a rock, right? Like, that's the rock. And he invites this guy named Thaddeus, whose name actually translates to mama's boy, the effeminate one, okay? He invites the overly masculine and the overly effeminate and says, I want both of you on the same team. I want both of you in the same family. You t- what did they talk about? What, you know, what music did they listen? I have no idea. And he says, I want you both to be together. That's a picture of the diverse, as some um, sociologists call the church, the church is the sociological impossibility in this world. We are a bunch of people who, one way I say it, a bunch of people who don't belong together, gathering together around Jesus for the sake of those who don't yet belong. A group of people who don't belong together, gathering together around Jesus for the sake of those who don't yet belong follow me. The Christian community gathers together. And note the pattern. One friend brings another. One friend brings another. Friends, the people sitting in this room, you're probably in this room today because a friend invited you. 2,000 years later, we're living out the very same calling of one friend bringing another, bringing another, growing relationally. And you know this, that joy is always completed in the sharing of the joy. When you hear a new song, or you go to a phenomenal restaurant, or you fall in love, you call your friend and say, you've got to hear this song. You have to try the ravioli at this restaurant. I just met this person, and I've got to tell you all about them. Because when you have joy, you have to share it, and the joy is completed. Friends, that is what it looks like to be a Christian. As one theologian said, a Christian is just one beggar showing all the other beggars where to find the best bread in town. That's why our church consistently strives to be a church you can bring your friends to anytime. A church that always remembers what it's like not to believe. A church that is accessible and understandable to all friends wherever we are in our faith journey. We, we call that cultivating the bringer mentality. As one friend shows another friend where to find the best bread in town. What does that look like for you? How do you take this invitation to follow him And as you deepen your spiritual connection with God, go and pass it on to your neighbors, to your colleagues, to your family. And I love that when Philip goes to Nathaniel and he invites him, 
Nathaniel's question. Do you see the skepticism in that question? I, it's pretty apparent. Uh, hey, come and see this person. He's, wait, he's from where? Can anything good come out of Nazareth, right? It's like he's saying, can anything good come out of Campo, right? Uh, Campo's fine. They have a great railroad museum. It does get hot there, though. Um, can anything good? And I love that Jesus honors his legitimate skepticism. Jesus is saying, look, bring your questions, bring your doubts. Christianity says, questions are welcome here. If you're seeking, if you're investigating, if you're exploring faith, you should have hard questions. And Jesus honors those questions. How do you feel about that news? That Jesus actually honors your doubts? Is that surprising to you? Two invitations. Come and see, follow me, and finally, a promise. And you will see greater things than these. See, there are two coded phrases that he gives to Nathaniel that would have made sense to everybody in the original audience. First, he says to Nathaniel, here is one in whom there is no deceit. And then he says, you will see greater things than these. You will see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And both hearken back to Israel's story. Both hearken back uh, to Jacob. It was Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes, would go on to become Israel. Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob's entire character was shrouded in deceit, at least for the first half of his life. In the very beginning of uh, his adult life, he deceives his brother and his father and swindles them out of his brother's birthright and inheritance. His brother Esau was meant to get all the wealth, all the inheritance, all the status, and Jacob deceives him. And Esau wasn't very happy about that. So Jacob's on the run. He is in the middle of the wilderness. He has nothing. He has no family, no land. He's an extreme outsider. He's a dead man. And in Genesis chapter 28, it says it got so bad that he actually, for a pillow, his only resource was a rock. He was using a rock for a pillow. That's a bad night, okay? And it's in the midst of that bad night, he has this great dream. And it's in that dream that he sees this vision of a ladder with angels ascending and descending upon it where heaven and earth are touching and coming together. And the angel of the Lord says, go back and live in peace because I have plans for you. And now Jesus is talking. And what is Jesus saying to Nathaniel? You want to see where heaven and earth overlap and intersect? You're looking at it. And you will see greater things than these. You are looking at the one in whom God comes together with humanity. I bring you the reality that you're longing for, the very presence of God in your life. I bring the presence of God into this world, into the messiness of this world, to bring light into the darkness, to take the messiness of this world upon myself, to take all the brokenness and the evil upon my shoulders, even to the point of death on a cross, and allow it to do all of its weight in all of its work upon me. And through my death and resurrection three days later, I will display once and for all that I have dealt a death blow to death itself. That the final word on this creation is not darkness, but light. It's not death, but life. It's not discouragement, but hope. It's not alienation, but connection. Because don't you see, I'm making all things new. And even in the beginning, he says, come and see. Follow me. 
you will see greater things than these. You will see these very things take place in your life and in this world. In some ways, you're able to perceive and identify and talk about and thank God for. In some ways, that will be invisible and imperceptible and slow. In some ways that you won't even notice until years later you look back and say, indeed, God was even present in that situation. But in all of it, he invites us into the renewal of all things. Friends, hear him now invite you to come and see. Hear him invite you to follow him as we do together. And be on the lookout as we see in fits and starts, new creation breaking forth in the midst of the old. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we do pray now as those first hearers and first invitees uh, heard your invitation to follow you. Whether for the first time or the thousandth time, help us to hear that those words are actually for us today. These words are shallow and hollow unless you fill them with your spirit. And so now help us to hear your invitation to follow you together. Would you enliven us with your spirit? Would you give us a hope that we can hardly contain? Would you give us a sense that we will be okay because you are with us? Would you give us the courage to follow you wherever you lead? We pray all these things for our good and your glory. Amen.